0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell of Back to the Bible Canada. Today we begin week three of our current series on 1 Corinthians with Dr. John Newfeld, and we're looking at the topic of spiritual people. So let's now turn to 1 Corinthians 2, verses 14 to 16.
1: When it was time for our 25th wedding anniversary, Kathy and I blew all our money and went on our second honeymoon. We spent four weeks traveling through Germany, Switzerland, and Austria, and I'll never forget one evening in Vienna. We're staying in a beautiful place. It was the guest house of the old Habsburg dynasty that ruled over Austria and Hungary for over 600 years. It was beautiful. And that night, Kathy and I went to a Mozart and Strauss concert at the very place where Mozart himself used to play, right in the the courts of the Habsburg Palace. It had been a hot day, and the concert hall was not air-conditioned, but the upper windows had been opened, and a beautiful, cool breeze ever so gently wafted into the room, and it made an ideal evening. You know, on top of that, I was sitting next to the love of my life, and I felt completely in love. And the music was exquisite, and the environment was like a dream. And then as the evening ended, the lights went dark blue, and then in the darkness, right there on the banks of the Danube, came those first few strains of Strauss's The Blue Danube. I felt I was being transported into another plane of existence. And if you might, it was a sensual experience in that every sense in me was alive in a way that I can't rightly explain. I was aware of every bodily movement of the love of my life beside me, and the subtle movement of the cool air from the top windows, and the change in the lights and the music was alive in a way I could not have imagined. And the grand room in which we were seated seemed like an environment in which my very being lived." You know, the old Greek philosophers used to speak about the ideal and the true and the just and the beautiful. And In that moment, it seemed that I was not looking or experiencing a representation of beauty, but that I was gazing at the thing itself, that this was not a beautiful evening, but that this was beauty. I don't have the words to express that night, but I do know how an evening like that gets explained by some people. There are those who would describe my experience that night in Vienna as a spiritual experience. In fact, that's what a lot of people mean by spiritual But was it? Was that spiritual or was it something else? See, I don't think of that night as spiritual at all, but I do think of it as an experience of the soul. And I'm moved by the many profound types of human experiences that are possible to all of us. You know, we live in a day when the word spiritual is very popular. There's a hunger for spirituality everywhere. You read about it, and people talk about it, and many people claim that they are spiritual people. And part of the reason for that is that many people are tired of secularism. They know that scientific explanations don't satisfy a hunger within them, and that hunger is put there by God. But what does it mean to be a spiritual person? You know, we've been studying 1 Corinthians, and today we're coming to what I believe is the heart of these four chapters. In three verses, Paul will tell us what is spiritual and why being spiritual is what we should desire. 1 Corinthians chapter two fourteen to 16 reads, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, please note that Paul is describing two types of people. The natural person in verse 14 and the spiritual person in verses 15 and 16. Now, we're going to begin by talking about the natural person. In the Greek language, this literally means the soulish person or soulish people. Now, the soul in the Bible is the command center of our entire being. It's just another way of talking about us, who we are. It's that part of us that integrates everything, our, our feelings, our intellect, our thoughts, our desires, our personality, even our spiritual impulses. The soul is the whole person. You know, that's why in Old English, people would talk about people as souls. For instance, they would say a ship went down with all 150 souls on board. The soul integrates all of you and makes you a whole person. So what is Paul saying when he speaks of the soulish or the natural person? In fact, Paul is giving us a description of everyday normal people. It's not a description of bad people or of defective people or people who can't experience what I did in Vienna. But everyday normal people It's a description of the human condition. So what can be said about everyday normal people? Well, five things. Number one. They're physically human with an earthly frame of reference. That's what the word soulish means. Let me try to illustrate. Kathy and I have three children, and we notice something about them. They each have a unique personality. In fact, their personality showed up from the very time they were little children. It was hardwired into them. And so it is with all of us. We are who we are. We have a physical frame, and with that comes abilities and intellect and mannerisms. Well, it goes on and on, but there is more to it than that. Each of us has an earthly frame of reference. That means that what we know about life comes from the earth. This means that we have all been influenced on this earth our parents, our teachers, what we've read, the music we love, the movies we watch, the culture we live in. All of that shapes our view of things, and it also dictates how we respond to things, the kind of things we pay attention to, and the kind of things we ignore. That's what it means to be a natural person. Now, Paul goes on. The natural person, he says, does not accept the things from the Spirit of God. The word that is translated as accept is a word in some Bibles is translated as receive. The word means to welcome something with joy. So, what Paul is saying here is that the natural person, the everyday normal person who is physical with an earthly frame of reference, does not welcome with joy the things of the Spirit of God. So, here's a second thing we can say about everyday normal people they find the things of the Spirit an unwelcome intrusion in their lives. Now, just to be clear, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. According to 1 Corinthians, the Holy Spirit is speaking wisdom. He's speaking of the wisdom of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, everyday normal people simply reject this message of the Holy Spirit as an unwelcome intrusion into their lives. But why is that? And Paul gives the reason. He says, they are foolishness to him or foolishness to her. Let me try to illustrate that. Imagine for a moment that someone invited you to join the Flat Earth Society. Imagine he told you that all objects fall downwards, that there is no such thing as gravity. He goes on to say that if the Earth were spinning swiftly through empty space, well, birds would fly right off the world. Now, even if you can't explain the scientific principle of gravity you probably would reject that person as foolish. Well, why is that? Because you have been programmed to reject it through your teachers who have set the stage for the kind of worldview that you have presently adopted. So then why do normal people not welcome the message of the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer is they quickly reject what they have been programmed to reject. Indeed, Nothing on earth prepares you for a God who became a man and died on a cross. This matter, says Paul, is spiritually discerned, and therefore they don't understand it. Now that word understand can be misleading. Here's why. The message the Holy Spirit is relating to our world is simple to understand. God sent his one and only son into the world to die on the cross for our sins. That's the message of the Holy Spirit. And that's not hard. It's simple. We don't need the Holy Spirit to read and understand large parts of the Bible. I know non-Christians who know and understand the Bible quite well, but they reject what they understand. Anyone with appropriate reading skills can understand this book. Well, if that's so, what does Paul mean by understand? The Bible word for understand does not mean intellectual understanding. In fact, the word understand is often translated as know. So, for instance, in Genesis 2, we are told that Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. Sometimes the Bible uses the word know to speak of the love life of a husband and a wife. And so, to know is to know at a deep, intimate level. It's to know in our minds, but also in our experiences, in our joys, in our loves, in our passions, in our desires, in our hearts. Whole experiences. So do you see what Paul is saying about normal people? He's saying they don't embrace and submit to the realities of the cross. They aren't able to experientially come to terms with Christ on the cross. And why is that? Because, says Paul, these things are spiritually discerned. Here's now the final description of everyday normal people. They can't see the value the cross would mean to their lives. But you might say, I don't understand. How can someone not see the value of sins forgiven, of peace with God, of a secure eternity, and power for living today? How can you not see the value of that? And the answer goes all the way back to the beginning. They view life from an earthly frame of reference. Their soul, their body, their mind, their intellect, their feelings, their abilities and skills, all these things are programmed on earth. They're normal people, and to be normal is to miss the dynamic of being spiritual people. Let me tell you about normal people. Normal people don't plan their eternity. Normal people don't experience God. Normal people don't understand the mystery of the wisdom of the ages. They're going to live their 60 to 100 years on this planet, and then they're going to be launched into something they're unprepared for. They will be launched into eternity, and even so, they can't see the value of this. And when we come back, we're going to see how being spiritual transforms everything.
0: The difference that Paul outlines here between normal people and those who are spiritual is critical to understanding this book. When we witness and share our faith with unbelievers, these are the sorts of beliefs that we encounter. It's a good reminder for us that it's only through the grace and power of God that any of us can indeed be spiritual in the way that the Bible describes it. After this short break, Dr. Neufeld will explain three things that truly define a spiritual person. This Christmas join with us for a renewed vision for the season a renewed passion to stand shoulder to shoulder in advancing the clear message of the gospel story for us a child is born While well, December is the time of year that sets the tone for the new year of ministry ahead your gifts ensure the gospel message is heard across the nation so whether you're a long-standing partner in ministry or you've recently been impacted by any of the Bible teaching programs of Back to the Bible Canada, could we ask you to stand with us this month in our effort to raise $465,000 by December 31st. Your gift among other committed ministry partners across Canada will sustain and grow this Bible teaching ministry into 2020. Please consider sending your gift to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada today. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca.
1: Paul has said that everyday normal people are programmed to reject the things that come from the Spirit of God. So let's get a description of spiritual people. What is a spiritual person? Imagine for a moment that you went into a spaceship, then without a spacesuit, you opened the door and stepped out. What would happen to you? Well, you know, you'd instantly die. Why? Because your body is a natural or a earthly body, that is, it is designed for life on earth. It cannot exist in the environment of space in the same fashion. There's nothing in you that can breathe in the life of the spirit. By nature, says Paul, the natural person rejects the things of the Spirit. They are an unwelcome intrusion into his or her life. Now, without telling us how we become spiritual people, for Paul's not doing that in this passage, he's simply wanting to show us the difference in the frame of reference from the natural to the spiritual person. So let's let Paul give us a description of spiritual people. And I notice here three descriptions of spiritual people. Let's begin with verse 15a. The spiritual person judges all things, he says, and I think he means here they are able to discern the eternal value of all things. Let me give you just one example, money. If you have an earthly frame of reference, money means several things. It means buying power, it means influence, it means security, it means living the life you've always wanted. That's a description of an everyday normal person, but not a spiritual person. Once you get an eternal frame of reference, you begin to look at money trying to discern its eternal value. From Psalm 24, 1, you're going to learn that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Soon you understand that your money is not your money, it's God's. He has absolute ownership of everything, including your life. Now money becomes an expression of stewardship, how to properly manage it for the glory of God. So our frame of reference changes from earthbound experiences to a frame of reference taught by the Holy Spirit. Well, that's just one example. We could think of many. Our experiences with the Holy Spirit are building in us a sense of dependence on God and the ability to see the eternal value in all things. And can you see, that's exactly what Paul is trying to teach the Corinthians. They were fighting about who was the best pastor they ever had. Why was that? They were unable to discern the eternal value of all things. That's also why they were struggling with sexual immorality, why they abused spiritual gifts, or why they even showed up drunk at the Lord's table. I mean, the examples go on and on. If you are spiritual, the entire world, all your experiences, all your thoughts, all your plans, all your relationships, all the time you spend, all of it is discerned from an eternal perspective. You've already crossed over from death to life, and indeed, that's your perspective. Let's look again at verse 15. Paul writes, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Now, what can that mean? Well, I think it means they're not swayed by human opinions or popularity. Paul has already said that the message of the cross is foolishness to the world. The call to be spiritual means that the world will think of you as a fool. They won't understand your mindset. I mean, think of a person who goes on missions. I remember reading the story of the late Dr. Paul Brand. Now, Dr. Brand was, in his day, among the leading neurosurgeons in the world. He spent his entire life in Valore, India, working among the poor and the lepers. He discovered a way to reattach nerves, giving lepers a sensation in their extremities. And many people have pointed out that Dr. Brand could have spent a lifetime in the best hospitals in the U.S. with an amazing income, but instead could be found among the poor and the destitute. He couldn't have cared even the least of how he was judged in this action by his colleagues or the world, but only by the Spirit. Now, when Paul describes the spiritual person, the person who is spiritually transformed, with an eternal frame of reference, the person who can discern the eternal value of all things, the person who is not swayed by human opinions, popularity, or money, he's got to add just one more descriptor. In verse 16, we read, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? Now that first sentence is a question. It's intended to be a sobering and a humble question. Do you think you are in a situation where you are wise enough to go to the eternal God and give him advice? Not likely. And yet consider this we have the mind of Christ. That's Paul's amazing, unbelievable, staggering, final description of spiritual people. They have received the mind of Christ. But what does that mean? What is the mind of Christ? Well, you know, the best place in the Bible where Paul describes that, I think, is found in Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Let me read it to you. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I hope you catch a couple of themes from this passage about the mind of Christ. The first thing I see about Christ's mind is that he was willing to be humble. Second, the mind of Christ is servanthood. I know some of us can't even imagine living our lives without satisfying our own needs first. But Jesus came to serve. Thirdly, the mind of Christ is obedience to God. Fourthly, the mind of Christ is a mind that embraces suffering. I can't tell you how countercultural that is. What if obedience to God would cost you your paycheck, your family, your house and your car, your status? Would you still obey? That's the question, isn't it? But that's exactly what Jesus did. And that, my friends, puts an interesting spin on being a follower of Jesus. I think it to be most extraordinary to meet spiritual people. I think it's far easier to think of spirituality as an experience like I had in Vienna. Or some of us think of ourselves as spiritual when we think we've heard God speak to us personally, or when we've been healed, or when we have spoken a word of prophecy. Yes, we think that's what makes us spiritual. But who among us has the mind of Christ? Ravi Zacharias, in his book, Deliver Us From Evil, tells the following story. He tells of a man named Joseph Damien, who was a 19th century missionary who ministered to people with leprosy on the island of Molokai in Hawaii. And those suffering lepers came to love Joseph Damien because he exemplified sacrifice in the way that he ministered to them. You know, one morning before Damien was to lead daily worship, he was pouring some hot water into a cup when the water swirled out and fell onto his bare foot. It took him a moment to realize that he had not felt any sensation. And gripped by the sudden fear of what that would mean, he poured more hot water on the same spot. No feeling whatsoever. And Damien knew immediately what had happened. As he walked tearfully to deliver his sermon, no one at first noticed the difference in his opening line. He normally began every sermon with, my fellow believers, but that morning he began with these words, my fellow lepers. Joseph Damien had borne the mind of Christ. In order to serve, in order to humble himself, he was called to identify with those with whom he served. It cost him everything. That's the mind of Christ. And for all who are spiritual, says Paul, we have the mind of Christ. All who are spiritual are not swayed by human opinions. And all who are spiritual find that the things of God have a welcome place in their hearts. And that is why only spiritual people will ever understand the Bible in such a way that when they read it, they rejoice in what they see and make room in their hearts for that which comes from the Spirit of God. And as we continue to study Corinthians, we will find that, that this is the mindset that must permeate the people of God. Love the word. Love the teachings that are found in it. Love Jesus and his mindset and gravitate to that which comes on high. You want to change the world? That's the way to do it. Heavenly Father, may this be our mindset. May we grow to become spiritual in all things. In the name of Jesus, our strong Lord, we pray. Amen.
0: John, it's obvious from this writing from Paul that spirituality in his mind was very much different than much of which the world seeks after today. What is the spiritual mind? Break it down for us.
1: Yeah, I tried to make a distinction between my experience in Vienna and the experience of Joseph Damien uh, with a group of lepers who had the mind of Christ who was willing to give his life for theirs. I think it's so important for Christians to grasp this. I mean, just because we've had a profound experience with something or even with someone is not necessarily spiritual. Spiritual is to be like Christ because only the Holy Spirit gives that kind of a message. And so to be spiritual is to be informed by the Spirit and to welcome the things of the Spirit. You know, I I think we should not be embarrassed or turn back from today's spirituality question, but we should push very hard so that people understand what we mean when we say spiritual.
0: Do you have the mindset of a spiritual person, according to Paul? This rich teaching gives us much to think about as we reflect on what it means to have the mind of Christ. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day.
2: Truth In Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld provides regular, insightful interviews with Christian leaders into some of the most provocative and current issues of the Christian life. How would the Bible have us live, think, even respond to issues that ultimately define who we are as God's people? How should we act and respond to the world around us, or live uniquely within the church? Join Dr. John Neufeld for these unique and intimate conversations that ultimately provide biblical insight for living as we strive to live as people of faith. Never miss an episode or check out past episodes by visiting and subscribing to our YouTube channel at Back to the Bible Canada. For more information, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. And please consider offering a gift this month to support our critical year-end campaign. Call 1-800-663-2425 or donate online at backtothebible.ca.